Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, gearheads. We just watched the Mexico City Grand Prix, Formula One, and Max Verstappen wins the race. But Checo Perez ended up on the podium. How exciting was that? This is John Massengale sitting in the studio in Austin, joined by Les Kaiser, and I have Bob Varsha over Zoom. Bob, what do you think of the race? Um, well, let's see. Who picked that podium? Uh, Verstappen, <laughs> Hamilton, and Perez. I'll, I'll put a star um, on I, your I, chart I, for today. <laughs> it was, um, you know, it wasn't the most exciting Formula One race we've ever seen. Great location, great crowd. Um, a lot of questions after qualifying when Mercedes swept the front row. Um Absolutely brilliant start by Max Verstappen going from third to first at the first corner, where unfortunately the pole sitter, Valtteri Bottas, got turned around. That was pretty much all of the action for the race as Verstappen, you know, drew away, as all the experts said coming into the weekend that he probably would. And the crowd was kept entertained by home favorite Sergio Perez trying to run down Hamilton at the end of the race, which he could not do. But he still made the podium, and that's great. Uh, good news for Red Bull, good news for Max Verstappen, good news for Sergio Perez. Um, other than that, I mean, you could tell from the TV coverage, they spent so much time on uh, Botas and Ricardo going around nose to tail that uh, there wasn't a whole lot more going on at the track, at least as far as the TV people were concerned. So, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a bit of a parade, but um, the impact it has on the championship, I think, made it worth watching. You know, I was, I think that just because I was thinking about that, I was watching Perez and there was enough going on where I didn't feel like it was one of those races we've had in prior years. That was just nothing. But I I think just because there was, the crowd was so excited for Checo. And Les, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, what do you think about, you know, when Checo finally caught Hamilton and he did that one lunge where you knew that that was not going to work, but he got close. Was that for the crowd? I think that was for the crowd and that was to stir up the energy and you know, you don't give up until you cross the finish line. So there's no reason sure. that, uh, you know, Hamilton could have been racing in his mirrors, looking in his mirrors and that might've thrown him just needs a, you know, a snap of the fingers and it's, and you're offline. And especially in that, if Perez stayed online, he would have been there. So he did the right thing. Keep pushing, apply enough pressure to make Hamilton nervous, maybe watch his own mirrors and uh, <laughs> finished up. But he also was conservative enough that he didn't uh, poison his own well. Yeah. Well, there's there's a few things to talk about. There were some blue flags I want to talk about. Ooh. and But let's talk about the championship lead and the implications from today because, Bob, this was a big win, really, for Verstappen. His lead's now 19 points. But really just as important was 
Hamilton able to hold off Perez, like you're saying, Les, it, that's yep. just as big, and this keeps the championship close. Don't you think that these are both big deals right now, Bob? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we we heard early on from Lewis Hamilton. Of course, we never trust anything any of the drivers say on the radio, but Hamilton said they're too quick for us, and it turns out he wasn't lying. They were. Uh, I think the the ultimate result probably tells us a lot about the difference uh, between Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez as teammates in basically the same car. Uh, I thought Perez's vaunted ability to manage his tires would give him the advantage when he caught Hamilton at the end. But we, we never learned that because everybody seemed to be struggling in the turbulent air behind the car ahead. And that led to uh, a bunch of problems, though we did see some DRS assisted passes on the front straightaway. There just wasn't a whole lot of passing during this race or a whole lot of battling, really. And nose to tail running isn't necessarily a battle. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we heard a strategy message and uh, I think within a couple of laps, we figured it out. But when they messaged Sergio Plan A plus five, uh, at first I was curious about what that was, if that was a lead and lag time on somebody. And, or if it was laps. Well, indeed, I think we saw it play out as plan A plus five meant five laps on the strategy that they were intending. So that gave him a little yeah, stretch target. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that gave him a little uh, extra length there to get through. And it panned out very well. He came in chasing, uh, breathing on Hamilton at the end. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. I was personally interested that the tires held up as well as they did. I mean, Perez went over half the race distance on his first set of medium Pirellis. Um, And I wonder if that's a factor in the thin air of Mexico City, less downforce, as we talked about in the pre-race show, so the cars weren't being nailed to the racetrack as much as they normally are. Um, And that affected the Pirellis. They just weren't worked as hard. We didn't hear about anybody having tire trouble. Um, So that was I thought that was interesting, that in the thin air, the, the tires stood up much better. It's the less air molecules hitting the tires, Bob. That's what did it. But well, no. But, I, now, okay, I got to interject. I can't let you go running past that, Mister Know It All. That was a joke. But <laughs> I'm going to say that the slick track also was less abrasive. Yeah. yeah so you got the line. The deg was less on. Well, those. did did you guys hear Perez? I mean, he was not that far into those. He was probably a third of the way, maybe a little more of the way in. Going, hey, these tires are are getting better and better. And then it was like. 20 minutes later, before he did pit it again, he was like, <laughs> these tires are getting great. And it was like, well, how much longer is he going to go? Is he going to go to the end? But He didn't experience yeah. a lot of traffic. And so a lot of times he was open run. And uh, I think that played a huge part in his tire management. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, like you said, Bob, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot going on, but there was a few other things like um, – you know, when Botas got spun around at the beginning and then went to the back, he was making his way back up. And I know he got close to the points. And then he had that disastrous pit stop. It was like 11.7 right. uh, seconds. That Now, that is also going to play into constructors' points, Bob, right? Oh, huge. Huge. Um, and along those same lines, I mean, it was a great day in that battle in the midfield between Ferrari and McLaren that we talked about earlier. I mean, Leclerc and Sainz and the Ferraris finished fifth and sixth. Ricardo and uh, Norris finished 12th and 10th, respectively. So there was a big swing in the constructors' points there. And um, and perhaps in the drivers' points, too. I didn't do the math. You bet. But, uh, I've got that you know, math for you. Took the shoes off. 
<laughs> Perez yep. is chasing down Botas, and now they're 20, minute, uh, 20 points apart. But Botas would have got a fast lap point. But you know what he did is he stole that egg out of Max's basket and prevented it, even though he didn't get it himself. It was like stealing your Easter egg and dropping it. Dang. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he didn't get it because he's outside the top 10. Exactly right. Stole that, that point from Max. <laughs> Who knows? At this point, that, well, that single point could make all the difference right now. With only 20 points and this few of races uh, left, yeah, the, the heat's on. Yeah, I was looking to see if we've got updated points yet on uh, F1.com to see. But, yeah, this is going to be great. You know, Bob, we've got, uh, we've got next week, and I'm thinking about how that circuit, who that's going to favor. It doesn't look like the points are. Actually, the constructor standings are updated. Because they were not one point apart, and they are now. Mercedes leads by one point, 478.5 to 477.5. Wow. That is a big deal. That That is how big a deal that was to see that poor start or, or that beginning spun by Botas that boat, and then the uh, bad pit stop. That's huge. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's. Um, I think Brazil is likely to be a bit of a Red Bull track. Um, Max Verstappen has done very well in that before, including his teenage years when he first came to Formula One and in the rain at Sao Paulo, he was just magic. Um, so, you know, let's put that in the Red Bull column. And then you've got this run of Qatar, Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, um, tracks that nobody's been on. In fact, if you follow the building of the Saudi Arabian track, it's going to be a miracle if that track is ready in time. But Let's say it is, um, but you have these two big question marks um, in terms of racetracks uh, before we get to the season finale in uh, Abu Dhabi. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the driver's points, they just refreshed. Yes, confirmed. Max is 312 and a half. Hamilton, 293 and a half. Going back to Botas at 185 and 20 behind him is Sergio. From there, Lando, Charles, Carlos, and Daniel. Mm. Well, let's see. So, um, what'd you think about the, um, I'm just going to look at where the finishing order here is. I mean, I, I was thinking about some of the races, but, but let's, let's go back to the blue flag scenario. And Les, I know that's one of your oh. favorites. That is your favorite topic, isn't it? After, it I, it's one of those that's very controversial because I always feel like even the person that's getting shown the blue flag, they're in a race. And today we saw an interesting strategy or interesting occurrence when Lando, who was in 10th place, the last points spot, was shown the blue flag. I think that was highly inappropriate because he is in the points. Imagine that you're in the 10th place. You're told to break your rhythm to let the other racers by that you've got faster racers behind you. Potentially that favors the person that was in the 11th non-point spot to close in on you. So I've got issue with showing anybody in the top 10 spots a blue flag well you know that 11th place guy that might be advantaged by the blue flag to the 10th place man also got the blue flag presumably and you know we can't cover every single scenario i learned something new today and apparently martin brundle on the tv broadcast did as well that the following traffic has to get within 1.3 seconds of the car ahead before they'll show that that car a blue flag i didn't realize there was a 
DRS style, you know, time window that you had to hit before they're going to give the car ahead any kind of blue flag. Yeah, I didn't either. So, Interim, that's great. How, yeah. Was it 1.3? Is that what you said? 1.3 is what uh, Brundle said on the broadcast. Okay. He said he got that, that makes from, sense. The, uh, from the pit lane. I'd trust Martin. Well, I'm just saying that that makes sense, though, to have something like that to, you know, to to say yeah, when. Well, for the so. very reasons less said, you know, you, you you don't want to bother the guy ahead with the blue flag. He's got a racing zone to run. Um, but, you know, when when it comes right down to it, the cars behind are catching him and you don't want to risk somebody not looking in their mirrors at the critical moment. Then, uh, you know, wait to throw the blue flag. You're right. I mean, I, blue flag, I will put a point that it probably makes things safer knowing there's somebody closing in on them faster. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I still feel like those teams that are way back there are racing and, you know, they may be racing for dollars amongst contracts, even though they're not racing for the points or even the money out of F1. But, uh, you know, there, there's some benefit to them for every place they improve on another team. And uh, I just feel like that kind of jeopardizes that situation. What about that fan invasion at the end? Les, was that uh, intentional or did they <laughs> bust down say, the gates because they were excited for Checo uh, they were absolutely excited uh, there was one scene that appeared to be not intentional but uh, by the time it finished I think everybody was oh, alright it was, it was with great it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe they, it happened a little earlier than expected but uh, <laughs> they were all there and gosh I mean, I, I truly got a shiver watching the crowd the stadium view in the baseball stadium was packed and I know that's not a giant area, but the enthusiasm that was on the ground in the standing room area and the stadium was absolutely phenomenal. Here we are in the pandemic year and wrapping up and first year back to Mexico. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the whole Mexico is always a passionate group, even when they come here. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that Mexico, the, the fans being as passionate as they are. And uh, my old colleague Dario Franchitti tweeted during the race how he, impressed he was with the Mexican fans, not only for Formula One, but when we used to go there with Formula E, um, you know, NASCAR ran some races there for a while, Champ Car ran some races there for a while. There were always massive turnouts, which makes it kind of remarkable that there's been relatively few Mexican drivers at the top levels. I mean, only six Formula One drivers. Um, and then there were a couple more, Michelle Jourdain and so on in uh, in Champ Car, but really not that many. Of course, Pedro Award right now. Yeah. Um, but you take a country as big as Mexico with as much passion as they have, and they have produced so many fewer drivers in a country like Denmark, for example, hmm. where they, you know, I can you can name a dozen different uh, fine race drivers out of uh, out of Denmark. But um, that's just the way it is. Well, I went to Mexico City the year before. I think the race had been announced. But the uh, wasn't it was the year before the first Grand Prix down there in the in modern area and even the airport they were totally it was everything all about Formula One everywhere and around town I saw a couple of things and yeah. it, and it was it was you could tell this was a sport this country take you know made a big deal it. out of yeah that is so fantastic that that is just amazing mm. when yeah. we get back Mexico is Mexico is a great sports. Yeah. country really i mean and, and of course you can name soccer uh and maybe another couple of sports right away boxing for example that track is located inside a massive sports park and it not only has that that great racetrack but 
two baseball stadiums. There is the one that the race goes through, which isn't used that much anymore for any other purpose. But there's one at the far end of the track down by turn one that's used by the Mexico City Red Devils professional baseball team. Hmm. And there's even, believe it or not, there is an American NFL style football team that plays in this park. And their offices are right across the street from the back entrance to the racetrack. Oh, wow. Well, guys, we need to get a- Soccer and swimming pools and you (laughs) name it. Swimming pools, movie stars. We got to get a break in, guys. Let's go ahead and do that. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the Mexico City Grand Prix. Back after these messages. about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you want to know where the path to Formula One and Indy begins, it's three simple letters. VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at Velocity underscore RD. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers, the best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. Austin's Talk 1370. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. We grabbed that little bumper from Karun last two weeks ago at the USGP because he, he came over to the booth and was so excited to see his old friend Jonathan. He stood around for 10 minutes or something waiting on... Jonathan to get off the mics to talk to him, and he was those guys. I guess go way back, but yeah, hey, they go um, back to when Karun was like eight or ten years yeah, old, yeah, something like I that. Mean, it's it's uh, it just shows Jonathan, how old Jonathan is. Yeah, yeah. 
Why didn't he look it? Uh, we're going to shift away from Formula One just for a second because we're going to talk about America's sports car with this gentleman on the line because Chevrolet released the new Z06 specs. He's got my address. They me. are pretty cool. Corvette Mike, what's up, buddy? It's three inches wider. How am I going to get it on here? <laughs> oh, well, see, you can just fly me there, and I'll drive well, it. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Three inches wider. Wait a minute. That, that's no, not the no, first no, time. I did not, Cor- I, I did not say that. I read that. But what I understand, it's fender wheels and air intakes. Well, you know what's significant about that is that from, 19, from 1990 to 1995, the cor- there, was a, there was a Corvette that was exactly three inches wider, and I'm sure this new Z06 is no mistake. It was the ZR1, the LT5 90-95 ZR1. Was you kind of know that car. was 1.5 inches wider on each side. If you look on either side of the license plate, you'll see. So it was exactly three inches wider. So this is not the first time they've done that, Mike. No, it's not, and it's just it won't be the first headache that we have to overcome either. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking but just from the guy just, hauling them, buddy. You can, you can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, if it's a Sonic and it's got a skint spot, they go, well, we'll get that in dealer prep. You know, skin a Corvette and take it to them. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, with and due respect, Mr. Varsha, I did find out the exports that I took to Brunswick had their own set of VIN numbers. That's where the 001s have more than one. I don't know how many they have, but they have at least two sets of VINs. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. Very cool. Well, and again, I... I, I just read the uh, GM posting, you know, the, of, about their releases and such, and uh, it sounds like the Z06 is going to be wonderful. The factories should be back up to full swing again Monday. They took a little slowdown due to supply issues and all that stuff. But I could only catch about a quarter of your guys' show this morning, and there was some real talent there because someone said, watch the dirty side, watch the clean side. Someone said there's going to be this, this, and this on the on the podium. And, uh, and to me, yes, it wasn't. Exciting! I didn't get to, I, I, I streamed it, but I did not view it. I kept driving the truck, but I listened to uh, Sky and, of course, poor old Hamilton. But I think that it was Sergio's day. I am so happy for him. It was a feel-good race. It may not have been an exciting race, but it was a feel-good race. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that. That's what I was 100%. saying just a minute ago. It was really fun to watch that. I mean, just him making his way up, chasing down Hamilton, oh. that, was, that was worth it to me right there. Great, and he says I could actually hear the crowd. He's in a, a Formula One sealed up, you know, and he's hearing the crowd roar when he goes through. That's emotional. Yeah, you I'll leave it, it with you guys in Texas. I got a load going to start in Jacksonville, work my way across to Naples, but somebody's got to have them. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Mike. Thanks for calling in. Say, travel Thank safe, you buddy. Bye bye. You know that that is he's exactly right. I mean, it was you know you got a shiver watching Sergio close in on it. I love that. Hey, well, you didn't even. You got interrupted before. You talked about horsepower on. Oh, Corvette. the Z06. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's pretty cool. This is a Corvette with a 8600 RPM redline, 670 horsepower, making it the highest horsepower rated naturally aspirated vehicle in production today. Take that, Ferrari. And it's like 3,800 and change pounds. No, lighter than that. Yeah, so, uh, it'll be it'll be in the 3,500 pound range. So it'll be it'll be a fun a fun rocket. And this is this is uh, this is not the fastest iteration of the Corvette to be seen. So we'll yeah. see if we'll see if the ZR1 that comes out will be uh, hybrid. Yeah. Zero so. to sixty is like two point whisper blink. Yeah, seconds. something like that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs>
All right, well, let's see if we, uh, we've got a few more things to talk about with the um, Mexico Grand Prix. One I want to talk about is Checo's dad. Did y'all see that? Oh, man. That was pretty cool. His dad was just as excited as he was. Did you see that, Bob? Yeah, I did. And I, I, I can't see Checo's dad and not think of the uh, the Circuit of the Americas race, the U.S. Grand Prix, where the announcers identified him as multi-billionaire Carlos Slim, who's been a backer of Sergio Perez for, for a very long time. I looked at it and I thought that Carlos Slim would not be down there in the pit lane looking up at the trophy. He'd be, uh, you know, he'd be in a suite somewhere. And it turns out it wasn't Slim. It was, uh, it was Checo's dad, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. And if you've, if you haven't heard Checo's entire story, there is a good podcast. It's not ours, but it's F1's podcast. And Checo was on it as a guest and he goes through his entire history of how he got here and how he met Carlos Slim. And it's really, it's a pretty cool story because Checo himself did not come from a, a bunch of money. So it's a pretty cool story. Absolutely. You know, that, um, that scene, he and his father just made me hearken back to, and we'll talk MotoGP for 30 seconds here, Nikki Hayden and Earl Hayden uh, together after that champion. Ship. It was just, just uh, emotional yet again. Yeah, mm. Laguna Seca. Yeah, I want to check and see who uh, was chosen as driver of the day. I'm assuming that it could be either Checo or Max, but let's Checo is the driver of the day in Mexico. I don't know how you really couldn't choose him. Yeah, knowing <laughs> knowing what we know today. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, officially on the Formula One site, they they chose him as driver of the day. Um, all right, well, let's look at some of the other stories before we get off of the race itself. Um, well, Bob, I know you said that you know obviously we know it wasn't the most exciting, but what other down the down the grid a little bit? Did you did anything jump out at you? Well, I was glad to see Kimi Raikkonen finish in the points at his last visit to Mexico City. I thought Sebastian Vettel. And Pierre Gasly, you know, both finished in the top 10 with very quiet races, particularly Gasly. I mean, he had like, you know, 12 to 15 seconds of open track ahead and behind, uh, which makes me wonder what uh, what his teammate, Yuki, Yuki Sonoda, would have done if he hadn't gotten caught in that collision down at turn one, lap one. Um, but yeah, I thought they both had particularly good days. As we said, not a good day for, uh, for the McLaren team as a group um tough day for williams uh and of course the haas team losing mick schumacher on lap one yeah uh, and then you know nikita mazepin spent the rest of the day trying to stay out of the way which he did pretty successfully i'd have to say mm. right right um yeah i think those are the high points i don't know what's going on at alpine uh fernando alonso started 12th finished ninth but Again, you know, he spent most of his day you know, trying not to get past, and he wasn't very successful at that. And uh, Ocon came from 19th place to 13th place, but was never really a factor in anything important. Yeah. So I don't know that, you know, the Alpine team seemed to be going in an upward direction for uh, race after race, and now they, they just seem to have lost the plot a little bit. I'm not sure what's going on there. Although they are one of several teams that rumors say are, are going to see big upheaval in their management ranks. Uh, Davide Brivio, who uh, came from MotoGP to run that team, mm -hmm. um, has apparently been getting some great offers to go back. 
and they've had uh, some other, they tried to divide all the management uh, responsibilities into three jobs, which, you know, never works because you're, you're supposed to be equals and you're not. So we may see Brivio go elsewhere. And then you have um, Martin Whitmarsh, longtime uh, team principal at McLaren, uh, who's been hired to uh, run the Aston Martin team and where he fits into the mix with Otmar Zaffnauer, who has run that team for many years. Um, time will tell. Yeah, long time. Well, let me just run down the whole race result. I don't know if we did that earlier, but Max Verstappen wins. And 16 and a half seconds behind him is Lewis Hamilton. And then one second behind him, Sergio Perez. And then there's Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, Raikkonen in eighth, Fernando Alonso, Lando Norris finishing up the points, Giovinazzi, Daniel Ricciardo, Esteban Ocon, Lance Stroll, Botas down in 15th, which enabled the, uh, the Constructors' Championship to be a virtual tie. George Russell in 16th, Latifi, Mazepin, and then Schumacher and Sonoda didn't finish. So, yep, it was um, it was it was a great race to watch with Checo and Verstappen, uh, you know, extending his lead. So we'll see what happens with the championship after that. Let's get a break in, and when we come back, we've got some other stories I want to talk about. So stick with us. Listen to Speed City live from Austin. Back after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey guys, we are very excited to welcome our new sponsor, Allstott Brewery to Speed City. These guys make a fantastic beer and I'm going to let Jonathan talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it. When I tasted it, I am not a big beer aficionado. I like a nice cold beer, but I'm always worried about a craft beer or a new beer that it's going to have a funky taste, especially aftertaste. This beer was fantastic. I have absolutely no uh, no qualms at all that this is my new favorite beer. But Jonathan, you know why, what makes it so special, the water and the recipe? Well, yeah, I mean, these guys have done their research and do it right. And they've even imported the right water to do it right. I mean, it, it, I tell you, this Allstad beer, fantastic. And I'm, uh, you know, most Europeans are snobs about their beer. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those because You're definitely a snob. Yes, okay. about my beer. Okay, uh, <laughs> because there's no question. Carbonation has always been my issue here in the states. It's overcarbonated, and our lagers, our pilsners and lagers in Europe, um, uh, especially German ones, are not that heavily carbonated, and that's a key thing. And that's the first thing that uh, hit me was just how well they've done the beer. Uh, it's based out of Fredericksburg. It's, uh, it's got a great tie-in because obviously Fredericksburg, a German town, and now they've got a Texas German beer, and it's cracking. Yeah, and the uh, the facility out there, it's amazing. They've, they've really done it right. It's really fantastic. So so check it out. You can get it at all the local HEBs and everything else, right? Yep. Uh, it's around all around Texas. You can get it. Uh, they sell it in... Uh, uh, on on the shelf there as a Texas beer, but uh, I'll tell you what, you're in, right back in Germany when you drink it. 
And it's altstadtbeer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com. Altstadtbeer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hello to everyone. This is Gunto This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Bob Barsha, let's talk about the importance of second drivers at this stage. Well, I mean, you couldn't have a better example of the importance of, of a good performing second driver than what we had today. Sergio Perez coming through to pick up third place points behind his teammate's victory, while Lewis Hamilton finished his second for Mercedes and his teammate, Valtteri Bottas, no, through no fault of his own. I mean, Bottas went out, took the pole for the third time this year, but got hammered from behind down there in turn one, wound up spinning around and could never climb back into the points. So that, you know, is a huge gut punch for Mercedes because they needed those uh, second car points from Botas. So uh, I think the performance of those two, Perez for Red Bull and Botas for Mercedes, are going to be critical down the stretch of these last four races. Yeah, major championship implications. and. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, okay, a nice lead on to that. Let's think about next year when Botas is gone and George Russell is there side, alongside Lewis Hamilton. Is he going to be the good second driver soldier or is he going to be? I just can't see him fitting the same way that Botas has. I'm going to say well, that's no. A, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, I mean... I have to assume that they've talked this through, you know, okay. hey, George, what do you want to accomplish on what is arguably the best car on the grid? Um, but, you know, you have to recognize Lewis as team leader. Now, who knows how long Lewis is going to keep doing this? Um, only he knows, I suppose. But if he spread the word to his team, you bring in a young guy, I'll give it a couple of seasons with him to, you know, to get fully up to speed, which in the case of George Russell, won't take long. Um, and then Lewis, you know, sets sail off into the sunset um, and Russell becomes the team leader. I mean, I could definitely see that scenario, but I have no idea if there's yeah. any validity to it. Leave it leave it to Bob to bring us back down to to reality because you're, you're exactly right. Obviously going to have the conversation and mm-hmm. Russell's, you know, he knows where his paycheck's coming from and he knows that Hamilton's not going to do this forever. He's... He doesn't have anything left to prove. He's set every record mm-hmm. in the book. I mean, you he's a competitor, and you know he'll want to go for it as long as he possibly can. But but you're right. I think that they're going to have those conversations with Russell, and he'll probably be the be the the team guy that he has to be. But he's he's you know young and fast, so that's, he's a racer. He's young. Sure. He's going to get lured by that opportunity to take the gap, to make the pass, to stay out front, to show what he's capable of at some point. And then what will happen? Well, I'll get have a little talking to after the race. <laughs> then he'll get back in line and follow the rules or the team call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good yeah. one to see, though. The whole idea of Lewis and the, the length of his career is intriguing to me because unlike, say, Kimi Räikkönen, I have no idea what Kimmy's going to do after he leaves Formula One at the end of the year. Uh, you know, he's 40, still a young man. Uh, Lewis is just a few years behind him. 
But Lewis has this incredible life away from the track involving fashion and social justice and music and all these other things he wants to get himself involved in on a deeper basis, I'm sure. So, you know, that that siren song will be playing in Lewis's ear should uh, should the next Mercedes under the you know clean sheet of paper rules for 2022 turn out to be something less than what he's driven for the last seven championships? You know, you just there's no telling. You know, I'm expecting Lewis Hamilton to make a legitimate attempt at acting. Huh. Okay. Well, and Bob, along the lines of what you said, Tom Brady has completely changed what 40-plus athletes are supposed to be able to do anymore. And Brett Favre. I mean, well, Brett, but but Brady has set a whole new bar. Yes. You're mm-hmm. not a football guy, I can tell. But Brady, how is old is Brady now? Is, yeah. is, <laughs> no, it's the, it's the other shape. Brady is, Brady's 42. So, I mean, and he won. He's the current Super Bowl champion, right? Yeah. At 42 mm-hmm. years old and doing a good job this year, too. So, I mean, yeah. you're right. Bob Hamilton, just keep going. That That's the danger if you're, if you're George Russell. It's like, okay, I've been here for four years. What's going on? I thought I was supposed to be the number one guy by now. But... <laughs> It could happen. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun scenario to think about. Uh, speaking of fun scenarios, thank you, Bob. Let's talk about uh, another <laughs> a fun scenario of Porsche entering Formula One. Porsche. Because the Porsche people have spoken That's this week. because you own one. <laughs> <laughs> That's just this slot, <laughs> slot in history. Yeah. Um, you're right, though. The, yeah, a I lot mean, of excitement around this. Yeah, I mean, look, if Bob and I were we were all talking about it before the show, and Bob was like, "Well, yeah, how many times has Porsche said this? They're going to do this," but this week we have to talk about it because they came out and said that they are serious about this. And if I can find it in my show doc, they came I'm out. Gonna, and, huh? I'm going to preempt just a little bit of that. They came came out earlier when the specifications and the technology requirements were set for the new powertrain. A year or two ago, they yep. were included in the FIA requirements as those were defined. And so this, is, this isn't this is just one of those, you know, uh, spontaneous decisions. This is something that they've obviously been considering. And now this week, we got one more straw thrown on the stack to think about. Newly installed Vice President of Motorsports at Porsche, Thomas Ludenbach, was quoted as saying, it's not a secret we're thinking about it, that is, entering Formula One and are talking to the FIA. We are seriously considering it, but there's no decision. If it will be there or not, I don't know. So if you kind of read between the lines of this whole story, it's basically <laughs> saying, if you guys change the rules enough, we'll enter. <laughs> but, uh, and that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and oversimplifying it. But, Bob, what do you think about the the thought of the the lack of the MGUH and, and the possibility of this happening? Well, you know, as Les pointed out, they've been talking about this at Porsche for a long time. Um, And it's certainly not unique to Porsche that they want to make their own bed as far as the rules are concerned before they commit to come in. You know, and that's your your typical business negotiation. How badly do you want Porsche on the grid? And we know Porsche is investing in a hypercar program that's going to be run both in North America and overseas in the World Championship by Roger Penske. which is why I think there may be some substance to this, because if Porsche and Penske do well together in sports cars, 
Uh, I bet Roger would lend an ear to a proposed Formula One project. Um, there's no end to the man's ambition or his capabilities. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a serious effort despite you know, how long it's been talked about. You know, it's only recently that we've had the, the cost cap put in, which drops another $5 million next year to $135 million. It's not like Porsche to just go out and do uh, a real expensive program like this by themselves. They often want to have you know, all their sponsors lined up. Now, whether that's what's holding up a final decision or not, I can't say. But uh, you know, if someone were willing to say, hey, yeah, let's do this, uh, and here's you know, a blank check to go do it, I bet Porsche would. Now, you know, as I said in the, in the pre-race show, if you purchase a team and take it over, you know, you're good. That's, that's one horse choking amount of money. Um, but if you're going to take one of the two vacant team spots on the grid, then you've got to come in with an extra $200 million down payment to compensate the teams already in the series for, uh, for what they're going to miss out of the prize fund. So, you know, these numbers are, are you know, just eye-watering. But, uh, you know, that's what the, the bosses are hired at Porsche to do. And look at their technical capability. They are a part of the big VW group, you know, among the biggest car makers in the world. Um, you know, the sister company like Audi, performance is their business. They want to be in the series that is attracting attention. Like so many other offshore car makers, Porsche sells a huge number of cars here in the United States. So, mm. you know, as Formula One continues its its rise in American popularity, yeah. uh, if we get not a second, but even a third Formula One race over here, I think that enters into their consideration as well. You know, Bob, you just touched on the things that I was going to bring up. Think of the connectivity between the history of Porsche, the history of Penske, and Penske's desire to have Formula One come to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Penske's mm -hmm. who started the IROC series using the 911 RSRs back in the early 70s. Right. So he's got a history and a passion around that. He knows the racing series. He, know, he you know, Now he's got IMS. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of connection to make that work and potentially draw in Porsche as a drivetrain power unit. Yeah, one. And, and when he bought IMS at the press conference that day, he mentioned the possibility of Formula One coming back to IMS. So there's, there's lots of, you know, synergy. I would love to have the Andretti name on the grid in Formula One, but to be honest, I think Penske is a more realistic uh, way, somebody that would get there faster, sooner. They would leverage all these other things. Okay, yeah, we'll come with a you need to go back Porsche and, power unit. You need to go back and look at Michael Andretti's face. Oh, in, I know. I, I watched it. I watched it. I'm just joking. He he looked pretty serious, but no. That, He's yeah, absolutely I mean, serious. I would, I, Penske is kind of on another level of just about anybody. I, I, so I think I agree Penske has more cards to play. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be fun to watch. So I would love it if Porsche got in. I think it should be, be great for the sport and Probably good for Porsche, too, you know, here in the United oh, States. With all look that. how passionate. I mean, out there today, Circuit of the Americas has a whole, you know, I don't know what, stacked like cordwood of Porsche race cars dating back to the 60s. <laughs> and now imagine those folks suddenly started following Formula One because their lovely brand is there as well. Mm -hmm. so anytime you go out to any of the big track days out at Circuit of the Americas, 
I will say Porsche is the most prevalent brand you will see out there. From the guy that barely gets it there and it's his daily car too, to the to the guys showing up and fully track prep vehicles. Yeah. And by the way, if you missed it, um, we did play a clip from a press conference from Michael Andretti explaining in a pre-show we did explaining about how why the deal didn't happen in his words, by the way. And it all boiled down to control. He was not going to get the control that he wanted for the hundreds of millions of dollars he was about to spend. Also, how he had planned to pull Colton Herta straight out of IndyCar and put him in an F1 car. And by the way, drop Kyle Kirkwood into the IndyCar. And how at that point, he had not gotten any assistance. It was all, no, nothing from uh, Liberty at all. So, which I, that's not surprising, but I just thought that was an interesting part of that conversation as well. But. Well, guys, let's go ahead and get our last break in. And when we come back, we'll continue our Formula One and motorsports discussion after this break. USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiast looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com That's MotivationUSA.com When you leave the Circuit of the Americas today, you need to go check out our friends at Iron Wolf Ranch and Distillery, just 40 minutes west of Weird in the beautiful Spicewood, Texas. They produce a wide variety of unique, award-winning spirits, including bourbon, whiskeys, gin, vodka, and rums. They're kid and dog-friendly with yard games and Crego's Pizza and Wings on site every weekend. Enjoy a full bar, tasting room, bottle purchases, and live music when you visit the ranch. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram, and always ask for Iron Wolf at your favorite bars and liquor stores across Texas. Iron Wolf Ranch and Distillery, Bold Spirits, Texas Attitude. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Hi guys, this is Pierre Gasly and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Bob, you just heard the, the or you just told me in the break, the numbers, the attendance numbers in Mexico, big time. I mean, it wasn't the 400,000 we heard at, at uh, Austin two weeks ago, but uh, the announced figure was 370,000 people over the three days of the City of Mexico Grand Prix. And if you combine that with the, what, 275,000 ticket applications for Miami next May, um, you know, it's pretty clear that at least on this side of the pond, uh, Formula One is stronger than ever. Yeah, no doubt. It's really mm-hmm. exciting. And I think, I think motorsports probably, I, I need to, I don't have the numbers to back that up. I don't know. Maybe it's just my myopic view here, but it feels like motorsports in general has a pretty good momentum obviously formula one we're talking about but if i'm not mistaken bob that may be the second largest crowd ever to the one in austin two weeks ago because i think silverstone 
was less than 370 back in like 2018 or whatever year that was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, huge momentum that we've got. And speaking of Miami, I saw a story about Miami, you know, the new F1 track that they're building around the stadium out there, um, that this, this track is, but they're, they're open to hosting IndyCar and NASCAR. If the schedule's aligned, that'd be oh, kind of cool. Yeah. No, that'd be yeah. great. And it's being constructed it's, around it's, the Hard Rock Stadium, as you've probably heard, but that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it says something about the level of development they're going through to make it a track that can serve many masters. I mean, it's one thing, you know, just to put it in the track with a bunch of concrete walls and all that kind of stuff. But it sounds like they plan to use this track over and over again, which implies, a, you know, a much higher level of infrastructure, I would say. You know, they have brought in some really serious people. Bob, I don't have it in front of me, but I know you know the name, or you hopefully you'll remember the name, but it was a, a guy from Formula One who helped set up Sochi and some other F1 tracks. That's a big Yeah, part. Richard Cregan. That's right. We talked about Cregan before. So they've got yeah, him. he's a veteran. Mm -hmm. He's a big-time F1 veteran, but they also have a bunch of big-time NFL guys, too, that are helping, obviously, for obvious reasons. So they've mm -hmm. got some serious guys and gals and talent behind all this. So uh, this is, it seems to me, if they're going to open the gates to a really well-thought-out, well-organized situation down there. Yeah, I hope, hope Formula One's not getting itself in trouble. We've added Miami, um, and they just announced a new contract with China and the circuit in Shanghai. Um, where that's going to fit into these 23 race schedules, I have no idea. But it's going to be a couple of years before China is back on the schedule, and then they have a three-year deal going forward. So we'll see what happens, pandemic allowing. Yeah. Well, we missed our man, Jonathan Green, and he sent us a file a while ago. <laughs> he, he shot just a little short little video because he's out at Circuit of the Americas right now. And he has said there are 51 Trans Am cars on track. And I said, not all at once. Those are different classes. He goes, no, this is, and I think it was the TA2 class. And we've got, mm -hmm. some, we've got some audio for you folks on the radio and video for anybody watching because it sounds as awesome as it does look. So let's <laughs> cue that up and get that going because it's really cool. <laughs> Press the play. No, it doesn't work. We're having trouble with that. We'll see if we can get it going. It's probably something Jonathan did. There you go. Yeah, I'll blame him. That's uh, but, a good answer. But yeah, good weekend at Circuit of the Americas this weekend. They've got, yeah. it's what the Austin Festival of Speed. I was out there and they've got Trans Am cars. They've got the SVRA, what, 300 and something? Yeah. Amazing. What I, I was thinking during the race today, I was looking at the, the big, huge modern day Formula One cars and then thinking about some of the Formula cars that I saw from the, 60s out there that looked like about a third of the size Fit in the back of your truck kind yeah of thing. yeah yeah so it's a big event out at coda but um i remember there was a gosh what was it formula v or somebody here in austin the guy showed up and, and this will show your age austin nights the uh, austin aqua festival river city road races down along town lake through the middle of downtown <laughs> And a guy showing up with a long bed pickup truck and a Formula V car, <laughs> most of it in the truck, <laughs> hanging out. Hey, you had a good story, Les, about dino time in Formula One. Oh, boy. Christian Horner's getting wound up over this. And I'm kind of surprised that he is, but uh, it's, it's a legit problem. So they're talking about elimination of the dino hours for upcoming years in Formula One. Why do you care? 
Why? Dinos are not cheap uh, to operate. You know, in some circles they are. But when you're at the level of a Formula One dyno and what is going on there, they're quite expensive. And then operational times of them are hours are quite expensive. And so he's concerned with eliminating the restriction on those. And for instance, having Mercedes with, you know, what many will say is some of the deepest pockets on the grid, totally eclipsing somebody further back in the grid. And so I think that's a legitimate concern because that will just broaden the gap from the front to the back of the grid is the way I see it. What mm -hmm. do you think, John? I don't know. Uh, you know, the whole, I, I think by 2025, when we have this new engine situation, I, I, I'm just excited for that. So I don't know about the dyno time. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't have an opinion. But you're all math and numbers. Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, Red Bull is taking over the intellectual property for the Honda engines that they've been using the past couple of years. They've established a whole new company called Red Bull Powertrains, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, I would think they'd want all the dyno time they can get as they start developing their own engines and associated systems for Grand Prix racing. Good call. Yeah, good point. Also in the new, the next generation of cars, the Formula One is is hoping, I think is the word they actually use, aiming is the word they use, to have this new engine be powered by 100% sustainable drop-in fuel. Meaning that by drop-in is that that it can just drop into where other fuels go. And I think of this as a way, you know, everybody's talking about electric cars and how quickly they're going to, to be adopted by the masses. But I think our friend Paul Bryan uh, was called in one time and said, hey, this isn't going to happen as fast as you think. And I think he's right about that. I think this is going to take a while. There's going to be internal combustion engines on the road for a long time. But this new fuel that Formula One is talking about, this drop-in fuel, is 100% uh, sustainable. In other words, it's either going to be one of those kinds that has the the carbon capture, you know, where they actually capture carbon from the atmosphere and put it back, put in the fuel, and then it just releases it back. So it's net zero. But the point is they be able to drop it into the internal combustion engines in the place of the petrol fuels as, as we know them today. So that ought to be an interesting way to for F1, you know, and I, and I do applaud F1 for leading this charge. What do you think about this angle that, that F1 has taken, Bob? You know, we do, you know, 25 years ago, we would have never thought there could be such a crazy change where, where they're, they're not even relevant to a road car anymore because, you know, with this shift to electric. But what do you think about this attempt and others like this to keep Formula One on the edge of where it is? Well, you know, a cynic might suggest that it was exactly that, Formula One trying to sound like it's on the cutting edge of environmental responsibility and so forth. But as I've said before on this show, I, I put nothing past the capabilities of the engineering skills you've got in Formula One. You know, they're, they're breaking track records everywhere now using a third less fuel than they have in the past. So, you know, if they say they're developing, um, you know, repeatable, sustainable uh, artificial gasoline, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. I, I believe that it's coming. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it, artificial gasoline. But that way, everyone understands exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about because that well, is what they're saying. Well, I'm, I've been learning 
Yes, you can teach an old dog. <laughs> I've been really looking at the idea of hydrogen for vehicles. Uh, Toyota and Honda are both involved in it. Uh, in fact, overseas, they've got some out on the roads. Uh, I think they account for over 30,000 of them out on the roads nowadays overseas. And it's, it's showing promise that I will say 15 years ago, we looked at EVs in the same way that I'm kind of looking at that. I, do you think, and I, it's been a while since I've looked into hydrogen, but do you think it's more of a competitor on the street side to electric rather than something that Formula One or other race series would go to? That's, that's my gut immediately. Because of the internal combustion and the sound that we love in the visceral part of the sport. Right. That we well, love. I, you know, I think that we're going to have to replicate that on stereo before long. But that I, I disagree see, with. Uh, I think we're going to continue to have internal combustion. At least on the weekend, in our weekend cars. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> but no, um, seriously, the, uh, I think the, uh, the hydrogen is legitimate. I think we're going to see it in another 10 to 15 years be the way we see Priuses and EVs, hybrids now. Well, that's another discussion. Bob, we uh, we just got a little bit of time left, about a minute. Um, give us the 30-second Brazil preview. Well, Sao Paulo is uh, one of the veteran tracks in Formula One. A lot of elevation change, high-speed corners, and so on. It's been modified a couple of times over the year, but there have been some fabulous races there over the years, not least of which was 2007 when, uh, excuse me, 2008, when Lewis Hamilton and uh, Felipe Massa went to the uh, to the very final corner of the final race of the season before Hamilton claimed his first championship. It's been all over social media this past week or so on the anniversary. Uh, there there've been some great races, and it'll be fun. And of course, Brazil is Carnival. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Thanks for the folks who called. And uh, thanks, everyone, for watching on social media as well. And we will talk to you next Sunday. We got another F1 race back to back to back. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Ciao, y'all. the weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.